Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 52. Today, widespread flu and the Bernie Getz subway shooting. Hi, I'm Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. Starting off with a bit more busway news this week. The 14th Street busway was found to have improved travel times on multiple modes of transit in a study released by Sam Schwartz Transportation Consultants where they evaluated data from a variety of sources, including the Department of Transportation, independent traffic counting, and city bike data. Starting with the M14A and D buses, weekday ridership is up 24% compared to last year, and transit times between 3rd Avenue and 8th Avenue are faster by 36%, making the crosstown bus ride 5.3 minutes faster. Although the criticisms of the busway before it was even implemented were that the surrounding streets would become parking lots, the data shows that travel time on the surrounding crosstown streets stayed the same or increased by an average of only one and a half minutes during weekday rush hours, with the biggest total increase found on 17th Street, the first crosstown street to the north of 14th that isn't broken up by Union Square. By comparison, Travel times on the next closest two-way streets, 23rd to the north and Houston to the south, showed a variety of increases and decreases in total travel times compared to October of last year. On the avenues, only minuscule changes were seen in drive times, with speeds actually increasing significantly during morning rush hours. The preliminary report released by Sam Schwartz Transportation Consultants is the first of seven scheduled reports with their final report on the project set to be released in spring 2021. And if the names Sam Schwartz and Traffic sound familiar, it's because the transportation consultancy is headed up by Gridlock Sam, former New York City traffic commissioner in the 80s and columnist for the New York Daily News. See the link in the show notes to the full PDF report that contains the data and the historical change for each type of transportation they evaluated. The success of the 14th Street Busway has brought advocates across the city calling for traffic to be restricted on busy streets in their area, and the danger of vehicles and pedestrians clashing was made obvious this week, when, in the span of just 16 hours, four people were struck and killed by drivers across the city. In Manhattan, a 26-year-old woman was struck at a crosswalk in Soho by a box truck driving in reverse. A man in Hell's Kitchen was struck and killed by a sanitation truck driver. An 85-year-old man was killed in Sunset Park by a truck driver. And a 57-year-old man was struck by three separate drivers and killed in Park Slope. According to streetsblog.org, that brings the total number killed by drivers this year to 214, an 8% increase over last year. In response, Mayor de Blasio stated that the NYPD will be deploying extra officers citywide to increase truck enforcement. The news sadly coincides with bicyclist Daniel Cameron being struck and killed by a driver of a school bus on the 96th Street Central Park Transverse on December 18th, and the Brooklyn Supreme Court handing down a $43 million ruling this week in the case of a young girl struck and seriously injured by a driver of a school bus in 2017. We spent quite a few episodes over the summer talking about the measles outbreak, but now is the time to focus on avoiding the flu this winter. The measles outbreak was a rare occurrence, 
that was confined to small communities and mostly young children who hadn't yet been vaccinated, and only a few hundred people were affected. But different types of flu viruses take hold each year, and flu vaccines must be built to properly address the flu strains that would be most prominent during each flu season. Data from the New York Department of Health shows that flu activity in New York City is already at a high level, and there has been a 48% increase in hospitalizations statewide due to influenza. Within the city, there have already been a total of 2,028 reported cases since the flu season began in October, with the past week showing a sharp increase of nearly 1,000 new cases within a week. The number of total cases is much higher at this point in the season than it has been in previous years. Given the early arrival of the flu season, it's important to get a flu shot as quickly as possible, and it's a vital step for young children and older adults, especially anyone with heart disease, diabetes, asthma, lung disease or liver disease, or those who are pregnant. Just like the measles vaccine, everyone should receive a flu shot to avoid potentially spreading the disease to someone else in the city who may have a more compromised immune system. Flu activity will only increase as the season goes on, and the flu vaccine can take up to two weeks before it starts working, so it's important to find a vaccination location now. To find flu vaccinations across the city, use the nyc.gov health map at nyc.gov flu or visit your neighborhood pharmacy, hospital, or clinic and ask if they administer flu shots. And please, everyone, wash your hands and cover your mouth by coughing or sneezing into your elbow. It's one of the easiest and most impactful actions you can take to stop the spread of disease, and everyone holding the subway pole after you will be thankful. Today's podcast is brought to you by City Survival, the A Great Big City Holiday Gift Guide. Whether it's a tiny replica of a fire escape to hang on your wall, or a gadget that may one day help you escape a stalled subway train, find all your gifts this year through our gift guide, and your purchases will financially benefit A Great Big City. Visit agreatbigcity.com slash gift guide to find our recommendations for making city life a bit more dignified in the upcoming year. Thirty years ago, on December 15, 1989, it was the first appearance of the Charging Bull statue on Wall Street. Arturo Demodica's 7,100-pound bronze statue was secretly dropped off in the middle of the night, but it wasn't in its current location. The bull was meant to be a present to the people of New York City, and Demodica planned out a time when police patrols on Wall Street would be away so that he could pull in with a truck and, along with his helpers, drop off the gigantic statue in front of the stock exchange. After the bull was dropped off, it was initially seized by the police and sent to an impound lot, but the city quickly saw the positive reaction to the statue, and by December 21, 1989, it was relocated to Bowling Green Park where it stands today. Although the statue was just dropped off into the street, it's still owned by Demodica, which makes it unique in the sense that artwork is usually only on display in city parks for a one-year term. So the statue's temporary 30-year display 
is unique across the city. Here's a clip from art critic and historian Anthony Hayden Guest discussing Demodica's plan to drop off the bull and some history about the statue. If you look at those early work, clearly there is some influence from Henry Moore. He'd learned everything he needed to learn from Florence. I wanted to go to the capital of the modern art world, which is New York. This was a time in, 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 in the art world when um, there were a lot of artists were feeling the urge to get out onto the street. I believe, consciously or unconsciously, Arturo felt that urge. And so instead of doing like Jean-Michel Basquiat, his future neighbor, instead of making a painting on the wall, he put a huge amount of his work out at Rockefeller Center and he got on the front cover of the New York Post. And that was probably a learning experience. Black Monday, that was a, certainly the origins of the charging bull. America gave him what he wanted. America gave him a life. He was having the life that, that he dreamed of. The bull represents the economy going up. That's why he chose that image, to, to bring the economy back up. Wall Street is certainly a symbol of American finance and to some extent of world finance. So this is a natural place. When the bull was done, he went out with a few, a posse of friends and they timed how the cops made their rounds. They checked out how much time they had. I think they had more or less exactly four minutes between the security rounds. And lo and behold, there's a giant Christmas tree there. And he has not long to decide. He says, this is my Christmas present to, to New York and to America. It is remarkable to be here next to the bull that has taken on just a whole library of associations and images. It's not just a simple charging bull. It's a phenomenon. The city has floated the idea of moving the statue at some point, which Demodica does not support. But it appears as if the bull will spend at least its 30th year at Bowling Green. But it remains to be seen if the city follows through next year with its plan to move the bull back to Wall Street to alleviate safety concerns over large numbers of people visiting the statue in the middle of a busy street. Christmas and Hanukkah are on the way, and our list of Christmas tree and menorah lightings at a greatbigcity.com slash Christmas or a greatbigcity.com slash Hanukkah has the times and dates of 50 lighting ceremonies across the city. You can sort the list by holiday, and past events are still listed, so you can find a local Christmas tree to visit and keep track of public menorah lightings for each day of Hanukkah. If you don't see your local event listed, drop us a note and we'll put the info up. Whether it's in Rockefeller Center or a neighborhood gathering to hang homemade ornaments on an evergreen in the local park. Forty-eight years ago, on December 26, 1971, members of Vietnam Veterans Against the War occupy the Statue of Liberty for 42 hours to draw attention to the ongoing war. The action was part of Operation Peace on Earth, a series of occupations taking place at landmarks across the country, such as the Betsy Ross House in Philadelphia and the South Vietnamese Consulate Building in San Francisco. The protesters were unarmed and peaceful, 
and avoided confrontation by deciding to leave after a restraining order was signed by a U.S. judge that would have required the occupiers to open the island to visitors and workers at the statue. When asked by the New York Times if the occupation succeeded, Al Hubbard, the director of the Vietnam Veterans Against the War, said, quote, Of course we did. We got the war back on page one where it belongs, unquote. The Vietnam War would continue for three and a half more years until the fall of Saigon on April 30th, 1975. Here's a clip from the Associated Press at the time. We are perfectly willing to allow them to remain on the island overnight, although not normally permitted to do so, and that uh, they should open up the doors immediately and let others from the Park Service, including all, and all visitors in during normal visiting hours, and that they will be permitted to continue to demonstrate outside of the monument, but not inside. Must they leave the statue itself? They must open the doors. Uh, they, they need not leave the statue uh, except as uh, otherwise required by Park Department regulations. They have come here to make what they consider to be an extremely important symbolic protest at what is one of the leading symbols of freedom in the world. They repeat what uh, they said last night and this morning, namely that the most important thing to them is to get their message out to their brothers and sisters in the armed forces in Southeast Asia. Therefore, they are repeating their demand to the government that the government undertake to carry their message on armed forces radio throughout Southeast Asia and in Stars and Stripes. View the link in the show notes to find out more from Jim Murphy, a member of the Vietnam Veterans Against the War, who took part in the Statue of Liberty occupation and wrote about the event later for the group's newsletter. Thirty-five years ago on December 22, 1984, Bernard Goetz shoots four men on a subway car, seriously wounding them, during what would become the complicated story of the subway vigilante. The shooting brought to light the ongoing problem of crime in the subway and was significantly covered in local tabloids, where Getz was initially praised for fighting back against crime and was compared to the movie Death Wish, which bore a striking similarity to Getz's shooting. In Death Wish, Charles Bronson's character takes a vigilante approach to fighting crime in New York after his wife is violently murdered including a scene where he guns down muggers in a subway car. Getz would become known as the subway vigilante even before his true identity became known nine days later when he turned himself in. Varying eyewitness accounts of the shooting made it difficult to sort out what exactly had happened leading up to the shooting and how it had taken place, including crucial details concerning how one man was shot who was left paralyzed from the confrontation. The shooting took place just past the 14th Street station on a moving downtown 2 train. It was the exchange between the men and Getz that led to the shooting that has mostly remained a mystery. Either they were panhandling and asked for a small amount of money, after which he took the opportunity to shoot them, or they were surrounding him and attempting to mug him, after which he defended himself, albeit with an illegal gun. Three screwdrivers were found at the scene by paramedics, but the men claimed that they were used to break into arcade machines and were not used to threaten Getz. After the shooting, Getz ran down into the train tunnel, exiting at Chamber Street and fleeing north out of the city in a rental car. Once he was in New Hampshire, he dismantled and threw away the gun, 
and he surrendered himself to the police in Concord, New Hampshire on December 30th and was returned to the city in January. Speaking to police, Getz denied that the shooting was premeditated, but did say, quote, My intention was to murder them, to hurt them, to make them suffer as much as possible, unquote. Three years after the shooting, Getz's trial ended when he was found innocent of attempted murder and was only sentenced for criminal possession of a weapon. Pix11 News recently did a documentary on the shooting, and you can see the full video in the show notes. And finally, a more uplifting piece from a great big city history, and one of the all-time most popular posts on the site. Eight years ago, we featured stories from Gene Shepard's New York City radio show, where the author and radio host would retell stories around Christmas time, which would be made into the movie A Christmas Story nearly ten years later. Gene Shepard hosted a late-night show on WOR for 21 years, and each night was packed with the same storytelling and clever insights as the stories that became the inspiration for A Christmas Story. While his voice has become ingrained in Christmas pop culture as the narrator in A Christmas Story, the recordings of his radio career from 1956 to 1977 show a raw and humorous look at New York City life. When Christmas came around each year, Shepard would retell some of the various anecdotes that would be gathered together and become A Christmas Story some of which had recently been published in Playboy magazine, and some of which made their debut on his radio show. These stories were included in his books In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, and Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories, but it was his on-air readings and live shows at the Limelight in Chelsea that would eventually lead to the creation of a new Christmas classic film 20 years later. Have a listen to what would become the famous You'll Shoot Your Eye Out scene from A Christmas Story, as it was told by Shepard on Christmas Day, 1972. It was late November, and the Christmas fever was well upon me. I thought about a Red Rider air rifle in all my waking hours, seven days a week, in school and out. I drew pictures of it in my reader, in my arithmetic book, on my hand in indelible ink, on Helen Weathers' dress in front of me in crayon. For the first time in my life, the initial symptoms of genuine lunacy, of mania, set in. Calculatingly, I had booby-trapped the entire house with copies of Open Road for Boys, all open to Red Rider's slit-eyed face. My father, a great John reader, found himself for the first time in his life in alien literary waters. My mother, grabbing for her copy of Screen Romances, found herself cleverly euchred into reading a Red Rider sales pitch. I had stuck a copy of Open Road for Boys inside a cover showing Clark Gable clasping Loretta Young to his heaving breast. At breakfast, I hinted that there was a rumor of loose bears in the neighborhood and that I was ready to deal with them if I had the proper equipment. At first, my mother and the old man did not rise to the bait, and I began to push, grow anxious, and of course, inevitably overplayed my hand. Christmas was only weeks away, and I could not waste time with subtlety or droll innuendo. I figured one day I'm going to have to bring it right out in the open. In fact, bringing it out in the open almost brought the whole scheme down. One morning, my mother, leaning over a pot of simmering oatmeal, suddenly asked out of the blue, catching me off balance, What would you like for Christmas? Horrified, I heard myself blurt before I could stop, A Red Rider BB gun! Without pausing, or even missing a stroke with her tablespoon, she shot back. Oh no, you'll shoot out one of your eyes. 
It was a deadly mother BB gun block. I was sunk. That deadly phrase, you're going to shoot your eye out. A great big city has been running a 24-hour news feed since 2010, but the AGBC News Podcast is just getting started and we need your support. A great big city is built on a dedication to explaining what's happening and how it fits into the larger history of New York, which means thoroughly researching every topic and avoiding clickbait headlines to provide a straightforward, honest, and factual explanation of the news. Individuals can make a monthly or one-time contribution at agreatbigcity.com support, and local businesses can have a lasting impact by supporting local news while promoting products or services directly to interested customers listening to the podcast. Visit agreatbigcity.com slash advertising to learn more. A Great Big City is more than just a news website. It automatically checks MTA data before morning rush hour and sends out notifications if there are delays on any subway lines, Long Island Railroad or Metro North trains, and bridges and tunnels. Follow A Great Big City on social media to receive the alerts. Park of the Day Frank Siegel Park along Grand Concourse in the Bronx Named for German-American educator, soldier, and journalist Frank Siegel, who founded the German-American Institute in the city, The west slope of the park at Walton Avenue was once part of a path used by local Native Americans. During the Revolutionary War, George Washington, Count de Rochambeau, and their respective American and French military staffs used a high rocky ridge at the site to monitor the movements of British troops camped alongside the Harlem River. Coming up in Parks Events, check our listing of Christmas tree and menorah lightings at agreatbigcity.com slash christmas to see many of this week's upcoming lightings that happen in public parks. If you'll be at Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn or in Manhattan, stop by and see two of the city's largest menorahs on their first night of lighting on December 22nd. And if you're still in the city and feeling in the holiday spirit, stop by Washington Square Park on Christmas Eve and join in their tradition of Christmas Eve caroling beginning at 5 p.m. at the Washington Square Park Arch. Now let's see where our robot friend will be marching off to this week on the concert calendar. Here's the AGBC concert calendar for the upcoming week. Yola Tingo is playing Bowery Ballroom on Sunday, December 22nd through Friday, December 27th at 7 p.m. each night. A Kanye West opera, Mary, comes to David Geffen Hall on Sunday, December 22nd at 8 p.m. Jeff Rosenstock is playing Transpacos on Monday, December 23rd. Dave East is playing the PlayStation Theater on Thursday, December 26th at 9 p.m. PNB Rock is playing Brooklyn Steel on Friday, December 27th. Oliver Heldens is playing Shimonski on Friday, December 27th at 9 p.m. The Disco Biscuits are playing the PlayStation Theater on Friday, December 27th at 9 p.m. Brar, Savage Master, and Unearth are playing Warsaw on Saturday, December 28th. Fish is playing Madison Square Garden on Saturday, December 28th. Lotus and Les Special are playing Brooklyn Steel on Saturday, December 28th. 
Eptic is playing Avant Gardner on Saturday, December 28. Medeski, Martin, Metzger and Klein are playing Sony Hall on Saturday, December 28. And Gogol Bordello and Dub Trio are playing Webster Hall on Saturday, December 28 at 6 p.m. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. There have been seven versions of the Times Square New Year's Eve ball. One made in 1907, 1920, 1955, 1995, 1999, 2007, and the current made in 2008. The current ball is 12 feet in diameter and weighs nearly 12,000 pounds. So it takes quite a bit of infrastructure to keep the ball from dropping on New Year's Eve. Extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history. On Christmas Eve in 2015, it was 72 degrees. And on December 20th, 1942, it was negative 4 degrees. Weather for the week ahead? Mostly overcast skies throughout the week with a chance of light rain next Friday night into Saturday. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City or email contact at agreatbigcity.com with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Player FM, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Our intro and outro music is Start the Day by Lee Rosefear, and the concert calendar music is from jukedeck.com. Thanks for being part of a great big city. Shoot your eye out, kid. <laughs> Merry Christmas.